Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Um, maybe you are joining in maybe for the first time. Uh, the beautiful lady that you saw earlier was my wife. My name is Greg. Uh, we are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and we just treat it like a family. Uh, just like, I mean, hopefully you want to be treated like a family when you come in somewhere new. Uh, so it's so good to have you guys. I know that there's a lot probably going on in your lives but I'm excited for what the Lord is going to bring here at Glory Church. As you've probably heard by now, we've been fasting, um, which is something I've done uh, maybe collectively with people in a different way. But I really encourage our church to have food be something, a part of it, so that we can sit with really the Old Testament look at, at uh, when the King Jehoshaphat called a fast and was like, there's an enemy coming against us and we need to be united in this. And we saw through that whole passage that it's when we praise that the Lord moves. And so hopefully you've, you've experienced that this week. And not all movement of the Lord is like uh, easy for us to feel. Anyone feel like the Lord just pruning you this week? I mean, it's been hard, heavy. Uh, there's been some maybe trials that have come. Uh, I believe, though, the Lord is still good. Even when the branch falls that you thought was a part of you, and he says, beloved, that's not a part of you, let it fall. He's still good. And this morning, we've been talking about breakthrough. That's really the theme of not just this, this season, uh, but I believe it's the theme for our year. Um, I'm praying for relational breakthroughs this year, for healings to happen, for, uh, for emotional breakthroughs, for people to finally get out of themselves during worship and actually worship a God who saved them. Uh, and so you, as you see that, I believe Glory Church, if you want just a little experiment, please don't do this, but if you were to not show up anymore from now until next year and you saw the culture of this church and how much it shifted, all you could say is, wow, the Lord broke through. All right, don't do that, okay? I want you to be a part of it with us. But if you were to take a, a, a snapshot of this year, right now, today, how worship was, how people are, how we lead, and then zoom past and, and, and saw it in what I believe lo the Lord's going to do, and then 2024 comes, I believe there will be a whole culture change. Why? Because we're believing, praying for breakthrough. I feel really naked without my... my um, my wedding ring on, so I'm going to just go ahead and put it on. I just noticed it wasn't there. I'd, my finger will fall off if I try to play the drum with it. Um, the podcast people later are going to be like, what is he saying? Sorry. Um, but I am excited. I, I've been praying for breakthrough, and this week we've been praying for relational breakthrough. And I don't, I don't know about you, but relational breakthrough is healing that lo the Lord is wanting to do through our relationships presently, but also a lot of the healing that he needs to do is also from the relationships we had in the past, right? And so we're, we're going to meet here because what I do believe is God wants healthy relationships for us. And I don't just want a like surviving friendship with a man. I want a thriving friendship with a brother, right? I don't just want a surviving friendship with my wife and a relationship with my wife. I want a thriving one, right? And so there's a whole level of breakthrough that you and I need to step into. And I don't just want a surviving relationship with the father. I want a thriving one. And so that's what I'm praying through. Uh, you know the saying though, it takes two to tango? Anyone ever heard that? Or maybe the song, it's like, it takes two to make a thing go right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Um, 
it's, it's honest, right? If we are going to have a healthy relationship with someone, then it's going to take two. We're going to need to take each step. But I need to separate something for you because when it comes to breakthrough, when it comes to relational healing, which is what I'm speaking on, uh, a healthy relationship is one thing, but relational healing is another. In fact, I'm speaking, and I believe this is true, we can step into relational healing and still have an unhealthy relationship, quote unquote, with someone else. What that means is this, your parent, the, the burden that you have on, on an estranged family member, all right? And you, it takes two to tango. You may never get a healthy relationship again. But what you can have is relational healing. What you can have is relational healing. And so I'm praying through it for breakthrough, and it may not even involve the partner. Because the breakthrough needs to happen from within you. The Lord's going to work, and I believe he will do that, okay? God is desiring to do a lot more through you and to heal you so that then it can come out. All right, so that's what I mean by this. And, and if you want to write this down, uh, you will come to see that it's, it's a lot more about you than you think. Our relational breakthroughs are going to be a lot more about us. If you want to take a note, write this down. Relational breakthroughs can only begin with personal humility. Like, hands down, you, we, you will not experience a breakthrough with the Lord if you keep saying, God, why aren't you showing up? You're not. You will only experience a breakthrough of the Lord when you fall on your knees and say, God, I need you. Not even to show up, just like I need you, period. You're not going to experience a relational breakthrough if you keep saying, why won't they change? You will experience a breakthrough when you say, humbly, Lord, I need you to move into this. I just need you. Change my perception. So always it will start with a personal humility. They, they will you know, never stop. But you, through humility, can grow, can be healed, can be changed, and I believe breakthrough can happen at that point. All right, so I'm going to read a passage over you, um, and I'm not going to stop. All right, we're just going to read it. Uh, you know the, the saying, be washed by the word, anyone, right? Um, I'm going to pray just a washing over you while we read this, because it's going to be sort of the foundation all right, I uh, already have told you, you, you need to approach this text with personal humility, okay, because it's going to be a little, a, a little like, it's a list, but don't let it be a list. Let it be a, what you get to do as a Christ follower. Are you ready? It's Romans chapter 12. Let it soften you. He says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let love one another with mutual affection, actually outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient when you're suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to people that you do not know. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And when you see those rejoicing, rejoice with them. And when people are weeping, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, be prideful. But instead associate with the lowly and do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But take thought today what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And he says, beloved, never avenge yourself. But leave room for the wrath of God. 
leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. No, if instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, then give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals onto their heads. Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but did you see all the intentional, who, the intentionality that is urged upon you when you engage in a relationship with someone else? Like, there is an intentionality, there's a responsibility that you must have now, like, beloved, like, do not repay evil for evil, but instead do good, outdo one another in showing honor, like, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. I mean, don't revenge, don't seek revenge. Leave room in every relationship for the Lord's wrath. (laughs) It's insane the amount of responsibility. And then he says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. When we get into today, this is so crucial. Because we're about to, uh, I'm going to tell two biblical stories in a little bit, and I want this to say up here. Uh, I'm gonna, about to tell two biblical stories. We're going to have, we're going to act like we're in a counseling class, okay? Or we're going to act like a counseling room, a group therapy again, okay? Something really nice with counseling is that you can look at case studies, all right? Just look at how families interact, or let's look at how marriages interact. And I have two biblical stories, relationships for us, and we're going to use them as case studies because sometimes you don't like to talk about yourself, but it's easier to see yourself through other people, right? So we're going to do that because no one likes to talk about their own stuff, but if we talk about their stuff, right? Some of you are going to be like, uh, Pastor Greg, why are you, why are you just casting all my dirty, dirty laundry out. Because some of you are going to think that as I'm talking about these characters, I'm talking about you. Don't shrink into that insecurity, but be present because that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know some of your stories, but I am talking about these characters. But you will hear it. You will think, wow, that's me. But the Holy Spirit used that, okay? Because one thing I know is if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means in every relationship, it does not matter what they do. My job, if I'm going to experience relational healing, it means from me to them, I will have peace. Them to me, they may never feel it. But from me to them, peace will be extended. I will see them through the lens of peace. If you cannot do that, then that will inevitably transcend to your, the way that you see the Father, the way that you see God, the way that, and you're like, no, my relationship with Jesus is solid. No. If you hate a brother and sister, right? John says this, James. If you hate a brother and sister, then the love of God is not in you. How can you say you have a good relationship with the Father when you are estranged from fill in the blank? So as far as it depends on me, I will live with peace. But as we get into these biblical stories, these case studies, I'm going to separate something, all right? I need you to separate something. What I can control from what I cannot control, all right? As we get into this, there are things in your relationships that you can just not control. You can't control their attitude. You can't control their emotions. You can't control their feelings. Some of you men, you need to realize you are not supposed to control their day. If they have a bad day, Stop trying to control it. Like, you can't control their expectations. All we can control is ourselves. 
Like really, I, I have to remind myself, I can't control my children's attitude, but what I can control is my attitude, my feelings, my temperament, my thoughts. You see, even the abused victim believes that they should have done a better control, job at controlling that person's temperament because they did something wrong. They should have controlled it better. And that, that lie extends through all relationships. No, we're going to separate what I can control from what I cannot control. And what is mine is a lot. Like I've got, I'm in control of the peace, like in peace from me to them, I'm in control of. I'm in control of my thoughts, my reactions, but I cannot control theirs. So I will give what I give and let it happen. That's the scariest part of relationships. We wish we could control everything right. <laughs> if I could just say my piece and let them respond the way that I want them to respond, we'd be good. But it's not like that. So here are the two stories, okay? One is Jacob and Esau, and we're going to get into it. Uh, Jacob and Esau, if you know that story, it's a fun story of two brothers, twins, uh, a little estranged. Um, by a little, a lot estranged. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of family discord. Uh, so that's going to be one of the stories. And then the second story, which I'm excited, uh, is King David and his first wife, McCall. King David and his first wife, McCall. And some of you are like, I don't even know that person. The daughter of Saul. Very little information given about King David and McCall's um, marriage. But I will be honest. I have, and Kate and I have talked about this at length for the past year, I have a burden on the marriages in our church. Um, I just have a burden for it, and I have. And I've been wrestling with this passage, waiting for the day that I can bring it to you guys. Um, so I'm, I'm bringing it. My, my small group already heard a little bit of my soapbox on it, but we're going to dive a little bit into it uh, today because these two stories will show you. Now, whether you're married or not, you're going to find yourself connecting with these characters and hopping back and forth. Because I believe God wants to do some healing, but we're going to need to see some of the reasons why it hasn't happened yet. All right? So I'm really excited. As we get into this, these are the two questions that I want during our case studies. You're going to ask these two questions. What has been brought in and by who? All right? This is easy because it's not about you yet. It's about other people. What has been brought in and who brought it in? And then how has what has been brought in been affecting the characters? Sound good? You will realize in every one of your relationships, you need to pause and ask, what has been brought in? What have I brought into this? And then how has what has been brought in been affecting me? And you'll see that. But let's look at them first. So the first ones, Jacob and Esau. Uh, I mean, it's Genesis 25 to 27, then 28, then 32, then 33, Jacob and Esau. But we're diving at the beginning into chapter 25, okay? I'm just going to pray over us as we open this word. Father, we're about to get into some really heavy things. And it's one thing to talk about the story of Jacob and Esau and of David and Michal. But it's another thing to see the ways that our hearts have intertwined the same level of hatred or bitterness or pain or abuse or neglect or isolation it's another thing to realize that we hurt people in the same way these, these four individuals were hurt, hurt people. So God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit guards us. We protect our minds. I cast out right now any, any fear that you are not worthy of hearing the Lord today. He has risen so that you could receive freedom. So God, in this place, meet us. Speak to us. Amen. 
It says in verse uh, 19 of chapter 25, it says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Please, God, give us a baby. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The story continues. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is this, why is it happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The story continues, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Esau means red. Cool, right? Afterward, his brother came out with his hand, the baby's hand, holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. That name means takes by the heel, or it means to cheat, or the deceiver. And you're like, ooh, that's a fun name. To wrestle underhandedly. And it says, continues, they named him Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him, bore them both. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents and hidden places. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his food, the food that he caught. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Pause. Already here at the beginning of their life, what has been brought in? Parent wounds. Already. Mom loves me. Dad loves him. Ouch. Already shoved onto these two boys, given for them to hold in their hands, on their shoulders, was this burden of the generational pain of of dads loving the firstborn and moms loving the the baby. Like already onto this, it's happening and and there will be rivalry. It's going to set in very quick. But let's look a little deeper. There's also what's brought into this is uh, the word of the Lord. He makes this calling, this command, this blessing over uh, to Rebecca. And I think in our worldly mind, she twisted it a little bit. So the exact wording that God told her was, you will have two nations in you, right? And they will be divided. Do you know that word divided can mean estranged, but it can also just mean from them will come many. And if you know the story of Jacob, Jacob, from him, the, the 12 tribes of Israel will come. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to be at odds, but they will be separate. But our flesh likes to define that really quickly. And then one will be stronger and the other will serve. This word from the Lord is not the other will be a slave, but I think our flesh likes to say that. No older brother wants to serve the younger brother. But that word serve literally means to contend, to cultivate, will help grow, will help mature the younger. It's a really beautiful word. It is a nice prophecy of these two brothers of what's going to happen, but tainted already, added into it is this curse, this word curse of, hey, your name's the deceiver. Cool, right? Anyone want to be named the deceiver? When you get birth, like you come into the world, Jacob, which means the deceiver, by the way, and, and you're like, okay, thanks, dad. Thanks. 
But auto automatically, they get handed these things to carry, and the story just keeps going and getting worse. In fact, if you know the story, there's one time when Jacob is cooking stew and, and uh, his brother comes in, Esau comes in from, from working and he's hungry. And if you're like me during this fast, you're hangry. Your emotions are everywhere. Some of you are like, I'm going to die, right? Anyone feel that way uh, on those days? He's, I'm going to die. And Jacob, all he has to carry right now is the word curse. So what does he do? He uses it to his advantage. Hey, Esau, I'll give you some of this stew if you give me your birthright. And Esau's like, but rationally, like, if I die, my birthright means nothing. So yeah, give me food. And already this, this little entwined jealousy sets in and it gets worse and worse. In fact, as we get into this, uh, you will realize that in every relationship, in every interaction that we have, um, sometimes we respond with the baggage that we're carrying. Maybe it was a word curse. Maybe you were told something as a child. Maybe you were made fun of. Maybe you were continually, verbally abused. Now, unless that is dealt with, that will be carried and worked with in every relationship, whether we want to work with it or not. It will be worked with. And it will go into every, sometimes it's carried and grown by the feelings that we have, the jealousy, the rivalry, the bitterness. But I need you to know this. What begins to occur is this. Even though God asks us now as redeemed people to respond from the soul, we often respond only from the baggage. God says, hey, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So therefore, see everything new. But often we come in and what we respond from are the things that have been brought into our life more than respond from what God has already done in our life. You see this? But the other thing happens too. Um, even though God calls us to respond to their soul, we often respond to their baggage. And so even in this relationship with, with uh, Jacob, he, he is a literal lineage of Abraham, the, the God of, of Abraham. He is a Hebrew. He is a, a child of God. And yet he's responding from the curse he was handed. And then, even though God calls us to respond to their soul, he sees Esau hungry, hurting, weak, and he decides to leverage it. See, even in my relationship with my wife, sometimes I can respond to her insecurities or I can respond to her reaction instead of actually responding to her heart. You, you picking it up? We can respond to their, their baggage instead of actually responding to their heart. We respond to their hardenedness instead of seeking to see with compassion like Jesus did. They are lambs without a shepherd. Like they are in need. And so there's this huge difference, but we are automatically on guard. And this thing happens all the time. And the story continues, maybe to the part to where you heard it in children's ministry, right? When you were in Sunday school, because their dad, Isaac, is on his deathbed. And the birthright blessing is about to unfold. And guess what happens? This rivalry has occurred for, throughout their life for so long that Rebecca, the mom, grabs Jacob and says, it's our time. Esau's out. Your father's dying. Get his blessing. And so they cover Jacob up. 
already deceiving. He, he keeps acting from the curse of what he's holding instead of anything else. And so he goes in and he says, Father, and he, he lies. And, and Isaac's like, are you really Esau? And he says, come feel me. And so they feel, okay, you surely are. And he blessed him. The blessing went away. Jealousy caused him to put on a fur and to steal his brother's stuff, steal his brother's blessing. But if you want to write this down, some of you are like, I don't, I'm not a jealous person. This is a good understanding of what jealousy is for those who maybe struggle. Jealousy is the burden of believing that their have demands that I lack. Now, I just need to say, like, it is a burden of believing. Now, this is a false belief. Sometimes this is irrational. Sometimes you won't even admit it. You won't even admit it. I'm not a jealous person, but you truly believe deep in your heart that them getting a new house means that automatically you lack it. You lack it. That them getting a new job, automatically their have is my lack. And so because Esau has this blessing, that means Jacob can never have a blessing. And so he has to fight for the blessing because he doesn't have the blessing. And honestly, jealousy begins to be evoked in all the things. That means I can't have. And what ends up happening is we use what we think we have to get what we think we're lacking. So we see this. Men, hurt men, broken men, desiring connection, thinking that they can never have it. So they use what they think they have, strength, false strength, to get what they think they're lacking, and the cycle of abuse occurs again. Right? We see this in young women. I used to to be a youth pastor. We see this time and time again. A girl doubting the thing that she doesn't have, closeness, companionship, love from the father, so she uses what she thinks she does have, her personality, her body, her image, to get what she thinks is lacking. We do this all the time. We don't call it jealousy, but it is jealousy. We are jealous of the world. We're jealous of what what we don't occur, like what we, we can't have, we can't achieve, and it is brought into everything because of that which we hold tight. And this is what happens, and so the story continues. Esau comes in and obviously outraged. Like, who wouldn't be? If you read the story, he demands for his father to still bless him. And so the father says this, okay, Esau, here's the blessing in verse 40 of the chapter. Like, by your sword, you will now live, and you shall serve your brother. You hear that again, right? You shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of this blessing with which his father had blessed him. You see, and for Esau, this rage was brought in. It was a deep hatred for the sickening lies of his brother. It was this deep hatred for the, the, the cheating. It was this deep hatred mixed with this fleshly response he's always had, right? He comes in and he's hungry and emotional. His his was always to react. I mean, red in the Hebrew, anger, like there, there's, it's, it's intertwined with, with someone of, of emotions, someone of high emotions. And he goes, he uses this word curse of himself and hatred comes in. And he misses the beauty of this actual blessing. You know, when Jesus says, hey, come to me, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. You know that? This blessing has that already etched in. And you're like, how? You will serve your brother, but when you grow truly weak, 
when you come to the end of yourself, when you come, when you get into depths of trouble, you will break his yoke from your neck. And you're like, his yoke? The yoke of bitterness? The yoke of anger? You see, what we don't realize is that when we hold hatred in our hearts towards someone, we are yoked to them. When you hold bitterness in your hearts to someone, you are yoked, you are connected. They are pulling the reins, whether they are intentionally doing it or unintentionally doing it. Because of that which you are holding in deep, it becomes a chain wearing you out. And you're bitter, and you're like, but they're dead and gone. They're not even in my life anymore. But that yoke remains in your life. And it is affecting every relationship because for each of them, like what ends up happening in the story is in his rage, he plans to kill Jacob. Jacob gets word of it, and Jacob, in Jacob's fashion, cheats death and flees. Now, if you know the story, these burdens carry with them through everything. All right? Think of it really fast. Jacob's going. He meets a man who has, some, uh, has an attractive daughter. He wants to marry her. And so Jacob now lives with this lie of I'm a deceiving, always running, and he's going to now have to weasel his way into and out of everything in order to get what he thinks he needs, he wants. He fights and ends up getting cheated like the way that he cheated with the father. And now he's, he's married two women, and all these things are happening. And the fear of Esau keeps him secluded, Lonely and isolated. Many of you, the fear of Esau has kept you secluded, lonely, and isolated. And you're like, what? The fear of his past catching up with him has kept him lonely, secluded, and isolated. The fear of that pain. Some of you irrationally fear that from your past. And because it's not dealt with, that has kept you at arm's length in every relationship. Lonely, secluded, and isolated. There's healing that is needing to happen in both of these boys. And so what he does, he fights, he fights, he strives, he strives, he cheats, he deceives. And it just can't escape it. Why is this nothing's happening? Some of you, nothing has been happening for your favor. And it's because you're trying to run from something. Still. But then there's Esau holding tight that baggage of rage. I I really, I need to read this because some of you need to realize this. Something precious was taken from him at a young age. He was forgotten. He was overlooked. He was used. Something precious might have been taken from you at a young age. You feel overlooked, outraged, rightly so. But the bitterness was a yoke that kept him going. It was an anger. And guess what happens? Uh, Rebellion sets in. There's one story of of a conversation that he overhears his father having with his brother. And the father's like, hey, do not marry a Canaanite woman. So go over and marry a good daughter over there. And the, the son's like, cool, I'll do it. Esau hears this. Dad doesn't want us to marry a Canaanite woman. Guess what he does? I'll marry myself a Canaanite woman. Why? Because I cannot, I cannot stay. I'm going to hurt him like he's hurt me. And it keeps going. Every one of Esau's relationships, he's going to hurt. 
And whether we want to or not, I, it's easier to control their feelings because if I can make them feel what I feel, then I don't have to think about me feeling it anymore. If I, and we don't even intentionally do it, but in our relationships, like if I can make them feel happy, then I won't think about me being unhappy. And so we, like all of this bitterness rages. If I could just make someone else good, then I won't think about how like, unhappy I am with not being good myself. Esau carries this burden with him, and it breaks every relationship that they come in contact with. Now, reconciliation will happen in the end, but there's a hot mess that occurs. But before we even get into the reconciliation, I want to shift to this other cup, this other uh, case study. Sound good? We're going to sit in just the, the ugliness of Jacob and Esau's life. Because there's another one. There's this um, David and McCall. It's actually pronounced and you have to like, right, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. So I'm just going to call it McCall every time. All right. Um, it's, it's a lot. Hebrew is beautiful, but there's a lot of in it. Um, and I have to really concentrate to do that. So I'm not, but the story of David and McCall, she first comes on the stage when she, it gets word to the King, her dad, Saul, that his youngest daughter is in love with David. He's a, she's in love with him. And so Saul's like, okay, I'll use that to my own advantage. If you know the hatred that Saul had to David at this point, uh, it's fiery. Uh, David's about to take the throne out of Saul, but David's not meaning to. He's just getting elevated because the Lord has called him king. And Saul's outraged. So Saul's like, okay, David, um, if you, you can have my, my daughter if you go like, on this battle to the Philistines and bring me back a hundred foreskins. Yeah, I'm not going to keep going on that, but he does just that. And Saul thought, I'm going to kill David in doing this. Saul had another thing coming to him because David threw them at his feet. And so David and McCall were married. Now, Scripture tells us that their relationship in the beginning was actually good. He fought for her. They had a good relationship. They lived in the kingdom together. They even, she, she fought for him. There's a time when she protected David when uh, Saul was running after them, and she opened the window, let him escape through it, lied on his behalf, kept him safe. But a piece of the story that you probably never knew is, maybe you can read this yourself uh, this week in uh, second, yeah, 1 Samuel 25, 44. We read that when David has escaped, Saul comes to McCall, probably wanting to hurt David, and he hurts his own daughter, he takes her, and he forces her to marry another man. Now, I don't know if you ever even knew that of the story. Forces her to marry for years. David is on the run, and she's forced into a marriage with a man that is not her first husband. Like, can we just realize that she was probably used? She was probably sexually assaulted? She was probably spoken down on? And there's a lot that these two are carrying already. But I want to get this, even right now, and looking at this, uh, we have to read in between the lines, but I, I need you to do so. Because you know people, we know people, we know that this is probably what happened. Already they are carrying baggage. Think of King David. We see his life a lot. We see how heavy-hearted he was. He had, he had fears. He had shame. He had constant things that he carried that other than singing to the Lord, he probably didn't have very many people he spoke this to, right? He constantly had to be on guard. He had victories that he needed to fight. There was wars, war after war after war. There was very few places that he could let his guard down on. Think about the burden that that 
is to carry? What is he bringing in to every relationship? This, is this another war that I need to fight? Is this someone I could trust to let down? Because I, I let my guard down in Saul and he threw a spear at me. Right? There's, there's burdens and baggage. There's fear. I let my guard down with Saul. He became demon-possessed and threw a spear at me. Can we talk about how fearful that is? And that same fear is now brought into everything. Like, I can't trust. I, I, am, I struggle. And then there's McCall. I mean, without a doubt, abusive father. Heavy-handed dad. Forced into a loveless marriage. Probably assaulted. And then she's now coming back into this marriage, which is about to be restored, quote-unquote, with expectations. When I do do, uh, premarital counseling, expectations is one of the worst things we bring into marriages. It really is. Because from a call, do you want to know a cool story? David defeats Jerusalem, or you know, the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he takes claim. Saul dies in a battle with the Philistines. The people of God want David to be their king, and guess what he does? He says, I will be king if I can have my wife back. And you're like, oh, so precious. He restores her. She comes back into the house. Already, what is your expectations? My home will be strong. What is your expectations if you're McCall? I'm redeemed, like, this is going to fix everything. Some of you got into marriage thinking, this will fix my loneliness. Joke's on us, right? It's not going to fix your loneliness. We go into marriage thinking, this will fix my lust problem. This will save me from thinking this way. This will give me, I, a baby will help. Like, and all that, we, we, if I just had, uh, when we always think the next thing, this is what she is thinking, this next thing, and guess what occurs the palace is ready. Jerusalem is set up. The city of David is called it. And then second, Samuel chapter five happens. Verse 12, it says, and David knew at this time, it's their home. David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted him, his kingdom for the sake of the people Israel. In verse 13, and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. And more sons and daughters were born to David. You see, sometimes what we bring into a relationship isn't fully seen until out of that we start bringing in more. Let me explain it. Sometimes your fears, fear of never being loved, that burden from your past is never truly seen until you start bringing in other things in your marriage years later. And it's distractions are being brought in, or it's uh, addictions are being brought in, or it's a workaholic attitude. And you're like, I, I don't know why, where did, where did this come from? I just need to stop working so much. No, the working is, is just a substitute of the pain that's always been there. You, you struggle to be at home, and so you need to be out. And you didn't think that was going to happen, but it does. You see, for David, and you're like, well, pastor, like, what's a big deal? Like, didn't a lot of Old Testament people have multiple wives? Well, pause. Just listen. David constantly believed, and we see this in his prayers, in his psalms. He struggled to believe that the Lord was his fortress. 
He struggled to believe that the Lord was a safe place. So he kept, you are my safe, you are. And so what did he do? He constantly made sure that he had a physical fortress. He had comfort. He, he, he struggled with it. That was a lie up until the end. He always did it. And then one day he'd be standing on the, top, the, the rooftop of that fortress and spot someone else and want her too. And so it's just this nasty thing that is beginning, but it, it began long before. And maybe you're like, well, pastor, what about these like multiple wives things? There's this moment when the law was given to the people in Deuteronomy 17. They wanted a king. So verse 15, it says, hey, God, and God says like, you, you, you guys can have a king, but it's going to need to be someone I appoint. Good news. David was appointed by the Lord. But verse 17 says, but he must not acquire many wives for himself or else his heart will turn away. That word turn away means it will separate. It will divide. So I'm just, David had a man after God, he was a man after God's own heart. But this moment was a pivotal moment because he was a man after God's own heart who instantly had a heart that went astray. He had a divided heart that was after God's own heart. What? And guess who felt that the worst? The most, McCall. McCall. In fact, uh, as this kept happening, and I, I just want you to, we, here's a little point. I, I want to go from, from it. We must stop bringing things into our relationships that are more in line with our pain's ways than our God's ways. And this is like, because David's going to bring in Bathsheba, and then he's going to bring in more lies, and then he's going to kill a man, and it's just going to keep happening, and it's going to keep worsening. We must stop bringing in things that are more in line with our pain's ways than our God's ways. I, I cannot keep reacting out of this fear. I cannot keep reacting out of this hunger. I cannot keep reacting out of these lies. I cannot keep, no, what are your ways, God? Like, teach me your ways, that I may walk in your truth, right? Steady my heart, search me, know my anxious thoughts, the distractions, the sin patterns. But because of this undealt with baggage, I need you to hear this. What ends up happening is David creates a soil for his home that left little good for his wife to respond to. Now, her response to that soil is on her, right? Like, her response to that soil is on her, but the soil was of his making. He left little soil in that home that had any good for her to respond to. Does that make sense? And, and it just keeps going to the point where the scripture says that um, she began to div like literally despise David in her heart. You will see often, because we are flawed people, uh, most of our interactions, in fact, like I don't want to look up, but maybe many of your interactions in secrecy with a spouse, with a friend, have gone on for months, days, where the majority of those interactions have been just your baggage reacting to their baggage, reacting to your baggage, to reacting to their baggage, reacting to your baggage, and that's what occurs instead of our souls noticing their souls. So the story, David keeps winning, keeps getting victory, and their home is uncultivated, unhealed. You see, over time, uncommunicated needs um, undealt with baggage, ends up allowing our hearts to be controlled by that bitterness. I mean, Esau, undealt with needs, uncommunicated like needs, undealt with baggage, ends up letting his heart be controlled by that bitterness. 
write this down like we do if we do not deal with the things going on they will inevitably deal with us like when i do not deal with things they will deal with me you can't just forget your abuse of the past because it will inevitably deal with you you cannot just forget that time when they broke your heart because it will inevitably begin dealing with you. You cannot for just overlook that time. It will be relational baggage broken into every in instance, and it will hit our, our work life, it will hit our relational life, it will hit uh, our, our life with friends. It will. It will deal with us. One time in particular, which is, this is sadly what she's known for. I gave you all of that background to get to this point. This is what McCall is known for. I hate that she's known for this. It's really sad. David comes home, victory. He brings the Ark of the Covenant home. That's a huge thing. And he's out in public, and he's dancing. Like, I don't know what he was doing, but he's dancing. He's stripping, all right? He, it says he's half-naked, dancing and singing to the Lord. McCall, from afar, despises him. Her heart is turned upside down. We often look at that and say, how dare she? But I need you like everyone else saw David who was strong. Everyone else saw, oh, David will fix all of our problems. David will help us. Everyone else saw all the good that David did. Everyone saw all of these outlandish things. People threw responsibilities onto David, everything. But McCall in her home saw the duplicity of David. She saw, she saw the stray heart. And it brought hatred. Now, should she have dealt with that? Yes. Should he have dealt with it? Yes. In fact, uh, this is just an aside. When Kate and I were first married, I learned something that what happens outside of the home, the God things, cannot substitute what should be happening in the home, the God things. In fact, it's easier to love people outside of the home than it is to love people in the home. And that love... It might be a band-aid, but it is not the enduring love of God. And so there were seasons, there were seasons, whole years, when we were first married and I was a youth pastor, where God would be doing really cool things in small groups. Like, I'd be praying healing over people. People would be confessing their sins. And these boys, whenever you can make like a ninth grader cry in a small group, you're like, yes. And it's just all these good things are happening and, and, and salvations were occurring. And I would come home and I would start dreading coming home because Kate would be frustrated at me. She would be mad. And I used to be like, God, change your heart. Like, why is this happening? Good things are happening. And then she, unlike McCall, did not let that soil of bitterness even take root. She spoke her needs. And I realized nothing that God does outside of my home can ever sustain me. It's what God does in my home that sustains me. In fact, wish should be the opposite. What he does outside of my home should be an overflow of what he does in the inside of my home. Because she's seeing all these ways that I'm loving other people, but I'm not loving her. She's seeing all these ways that I'm speaking to other people's life, but I'm not speaking to hers. She's seeing all the ways that I'm tending for the cares of, of other people's kids, but not caring for the cares of my kids. Ouch, right? David, a man after God's own heart, had a divided heart, and it was never dealt with. So guess what? His son's going to want to kill him later on. Why? Because the divided home 
destroyed Absalom, Amnon, all the names of like all, everyone. They're angry at David. It was there. But it's interesting, though, I, I got to tell you, she calls him out publicly and he says, woman, and he rebukes her back publicly. And I'm just going to tell you, this is a fun, like a little aside, like you cannot, we cannot let our relationships be this back and forth rebuke. All right. Like them rebuke you, you rebuke them, them rebuke you, you rebuke. Someone has to stop. Someone has to say, this hurts. Like someone has to say it. We can't keep going on like this. But the story ends very sadly. This is the last time her name is spoken. In verse 23, it says, Michael, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. That's the Hebrew way of saying her womb was closed and her line was ended. Her womb was closed and her line was ended. And we look at Michal and we're like, bitter woman, she missed the things of God. But we don't look at David and say, David, Heart estranged, gave that woman little good to respond to. Now, she should have responded to the Lord. You see, like, let me use my wife in this example, this ability to, to say greater than my anger and frustration at, at Greg is my adoration for I, who I know he is in God. Greater than um, my frustration is my obedience to God. Because great, what you need to realize is your hatred or your frustrations towards someone will inevitably be your frustrations towards God. And God cares way less about what you think you are healed by and way more like if you despise someone in your heart, you despise the God who made them. And you're like, no, no, yeah. You cannot claim to have a good relationship with Jesus, yet have a bad relationship with your spouse. They're in, they're, you are one with them. We are connected. That's like that's the hardest. So like we have to, like that's challenging. But one of us has to say this, God, make my baggage light so I can respond from your love. It's not even make their, can you take their baggage away? No, it's God, make my baggage light Come to me, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke, my yoke is, is easy. My burden is like, God, I'm carrying a whole lot into this. Can you make this light? Can you heal it? Go open the wounds so that I can then respond to your love. I'm responding out of my baggage, and it's hurting them. So as we end this Jacob and Esau story, Jacob, do, Jacob does this, but what I love is Esau does this, and it doesn't even get mentioned. Do you know nowhere in scripture says what happened to Esau? Like, how did he change? Like, he's this bitter, angry man who could kill you with his hands, break you in half. Like, but somehow it shifts. What we don't know is one day Esau realized my burden is too heavy and I can't deal with it anymore. I need to forgive. So he broke the yoke of bitterness that he was tying him to his brother. And he threw it down. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, we see the boy had to wrestle a bit. Because he gets word, because now Esau's changed. Esau's trying to pursue, Dave, uh, pursue Jacob in a different way. Jacob gets word, Esau's coming with 400 men. I'm going to die. And guess what he does? His, his patterns arise. Again, because he's never, he doesn't think of what could God be doing. He thinks... I have to run because it's all against me. It's me against the world. And so he runs and flees. It cannot be good. 
because everything's bad. And so he runs, he's ready to cheat, uh, he's ready to run away, and in the evening he wrestles with God. Like quite literally, some even theologians believe that that was Jesus, uh, it was a person Jesus, it's a messenger from the Lord, but then he holds him, you must bless me. He holds him, you must bless me. Some of you, you need to wrestle with God today and just say, God, you must bless me. Why do you need to say that? Because every blessing that I fought for in my past has ended up being like a curse to me. That's what Jacob was saying. Every blessing, I fought for that blessing, that birthright, but it has been more like a curse. I am shameful. I'm running for my life because I've, I've estranged my, my brother. Like this, this, even this name is a curse. I need you to bless me because everything I, I, I've been fighting for, every blessing that I've tried to get on my own has been a curse and they wrestle. And so then the Lord speaks, you will no longer be called Jacob, a deceiver. You will be called Israel. Israel is a name that means one who strives with God. But the Lord prevails. It's this beautiful turning of Jacob, you will be a man not defined by you will get your blessings because you tricked or deceived your way into them but you will get your blessings because you encounter God. You will get your blessings because you strive with me and I prevail. Some of you, you're not gonna get that blessing because you fight for it. You're not gonna get that thing because you keep just chasing after it. You're gonna get that thing, what truly your heart needs when you wrestle with the Lord and say, I need you to bless this. I need you to change this. Let me be defined by encounters with you. And so what happens? He decides, all right, I'm going to gather everything I have, and I'm going to pay my, my penalty to, to Esau. I'm going to give him everything. I need to make it right. And he's ready to, pr- like, this is a huge change. I will give Esau my, my cattle, my servants, my everything in order to make this right. I must make it right. And as he's going to meet his brother, his brother sees him in the distance, runs to him. Scripture says he embraces him, kisses him on the neck, and he says, hey, there's forgiveness, this embrace of beauty. And in that moment, I believe, I believe, and you could challenge me in this. In that moment, I believe that prophecy from the Lord showed itself true. The older will serve the younger. In that moment, Israel was set up with good soil to grow from. Soil of forgiveness. Because soon that dad would birth 12 babies that out of that would come the Messiah. Esau serves Jacob, creates this soil for him to grow from. Now that's what I, your relationships need you to create good soil from. Every, every one of your relationships, any friendship, you're in charge of providing them with a soil where healing can happen, not providing them with a, a soil, a culture where little good can come from it. You are. But it's going to start from us asking those questions. Can you put them up for me? Asking like, God, hey, what have I brought in? What have they brought in? What have I been carrying? And how have I been letting what I'm carrying, what they're carrying, affect me? Some of you, it'll be easy as, I need to break this yoke. I forgive them. I forgive them for what they did. Forgive them. Forgive them. Others of you need to wrestle with the Lord and say, I 
have deceived my way, ran, I have cheated, I have just everything. I, I just think the world is, is me versus them. Father, bless me. Change this name. Change this perspective. Change it. I need you. Or else David and McCall will be your ending. The Lord will close up your spiritual womb. Nothing good is going to come from you if you say remain bitter. You're like, but I'm doing all these good things. Yeah, that's one of those, like, when Paul says to the Philippians, uh, even when Christ is preached from selfish motives, false or good, like, what's good is, is Christ is preached. That's how people can get saved from a pastor's messages where his heart is wayward. It sucks. It's sad. But he's not going to receive the blessings. You're not going to receive the blessings that the Lord has for your relationships if you remain in bitterness. So God, in this place right now, I pray that before we even move on, that you speak to us. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.